Hello and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. This is episode 258. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis and I am recording this a week in advance because I'm going to be out of town and I didn't want to lug my microphone on a plane. <laughs> It'll be my first plane in so long. Anyway, uh, I am in the past and you are in the future listening to this at least a week, if not further. So if something has happened in the meantime, I don't know about it. So um, forgive me because this is a week ago in, in, uh, in the, in a, in a before time. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so I, ho- I, I, ho- I hope this is current and everything is cool. Maybe even something amazing happened in the meantime. In any case, it's the future now. And I, and I hope you're enjoying the future. Speaking of the future, this post is about the past. So it's a little bit like the future, except the opposite. And uh, like the previous week, which to me was just a few minutes ago, (laughs) uh, this was inspired by a post on Reddit. Only one post, though. The previous one was multiple posts. This one, only one. Um, So that's funny. Me and my Reddit-themed posts. Um, But this one is about uh, the 20th century. And uh, it's weird that that's not the century we're in anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! So, uh, without further ado, why don't I go ahead and read it to you? It is called, Would I Go Back to the 20th Century? There's a Reddit question I can't stop thinking about, in which someone wanted to know what life was like in the 20th century, because they were born at the top of the 21st, and couldn't imagine it. They particularly couldn't imagine life without the internet. They asked those of us who'd been around for the previous century if we would go back to the way things were before. Would I? Would I give up the internet and my mobile phone? Would I surrender my laptop? Sometimes I think I would. I started writing this outdoors at my local coffee shop Just as I was finding my groove, the woman nearby got on her phone and started talking about her family life very loudly. I would give that up. I really would. People have always talked to one another in coffee shops, but there's something about the private phone calls in public spaces that I still find jarring, even though they've been around for a couple of decades. Would I give up my phone? My text messages? my personal voicemail, to just have a clearer distinction between public and private space? I might. I really might. I don't want to get all grumpy old man here and start droning on about back in my day. But back in my day, we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have the internet. We had to go to the library to look stuff up and we liked it. We loved it. Nah, I mean, we did go to the library, and we did love the library, but being able to look stuff up with a thing we keep in our pockets is amazing. I remember when I first got a computer that would allow me to dial up and use the internet. My grandmother asked me why I was so thrilled 
why I found it so amazing. I remember explaining that it was like having the biggest library in the world in my apartment. I was a little overwhelmed by it, truth be told. What should I look up when I could look up anything? I think this must have been right at the turn of the century. I'd just moved to New York City. It was an exciting moment. The future was in the air. But it also wasn't really the future yet. I was still sending my friends and family letters then, in the mail. Receiving letters was unremarkable, but it was also, in retrospect, special. Sitting down to read a letter was a quiet moment, separate from the hum of life. It was an occasion. There are still letters I remember reading because I remember the rock I was sitting on, the chill in the air or the feel of the paper. No email has ever been as special as even the most banal letter. When we first got email, it was a thrill. We got email my senior year of college, something I'd been wishing for since first year. I had a hot email romance with a friend of a friend at another college that eventually taught me a swift and important lesson about chemistry and the massive power of projection over internet communication. But even so... I got so, so excited about email. I didn't have it after graduation, but two years later, I got a Hotmail account. I was on tour at the time, and every so often we'd find ourselves in a place that had internet access. And the only person I remember emailing was a Canadian improv guy I'd had a little romance with in Edinburgh during the festival. We were very excited to expand our communication beyond postcards, And I remember finding a library with computers in some college town that could help me do that. The first few years of digital communication for me were very romantic. Mostly literally. I find this hilarious now because email has become such an onerous burden. No one finds email romantic. I bought a book called The Tyranny of Email because it so aptly described how I felt about it by then. A few years ago, I turned off all visual and sound notifications for email because I noticed I was having a stress response every time I heard slash saw it. Actually, I turned off the sound when someone else's email dinged a notification like mine and I had a stress response. There was a period in which I had to imagine putting on armor before opening my email. So stressed out it made me. The same sort of journey happened with the phone, actually, now that I think about it. Back when there was nothing but a landline, I'd get excited when the phone rang. We'd race to answer it. Sure, it was some good news. At the sound of it, I'd think, finally, my big break. Now, when my cell phone rings, I think, oh no, Who is that? And yet there is rarely a mystery. Their name is on my screen when I look at it. If it's a friend or family, I feel relief. But generally, it's just trepidation I get from my phone. Is this due to the technology? I have no idea. Maybe it's just me becoming more anxious and cynical in my 40s, but I wonder. And yes, I would give up my smart little phone to be excited to answer a phone again. 
That feels like the crux of the changes for me. The journey from cool, fun, romantic, new technology to tool of anxiety and or depression. I signed up for Friendster and MySpace because they seemed fun. They were cool new ways to interact with people. I posted my music on MySpace, which was a convenient way to share it without having to pay for the cost of CD duplication. Facebook was exciting and fun at first. Look at all these people I lost touch with. Now, back in my life. It's like a high school reunion I didn't have to pay for. It was all so much fun until it really wasn't anymore. It all goes from fun to compulsion so fast. I remember a fellow theater maker telling me she couldn't sign up for Facebook because she didn't have time for it. Then came a point where she had to join because everyone else was there, if only to promote her work. That's why I'm still there, even though the days of sending each other digital flowers is long gone. The thing I miss most about the previous century is just a fuller sense of being present with people. When we were together, we were just together. We were with the people we were with. If we wanted to be in touch with someone who wasn't there, we had to find a telephone or send them a letter or just stop by their house. These days, whenever I sit with someone, I'm sitting with them and the thousand people they're connected to by the device in their pocket. I remember sitting on a rock on top of a hill that my friend and I had climbed, and she was thinking about getting a cell phone because it was starting to become necessary for the theater biz, but she was worried about it. She was concerned about being on call everywhere, about always being available, that her life would be constantly interrupted. I said that was silly. She could always just turn it off if she didn't want to hear from anyone. But she was right. She got a phone anyway at some point, and at some point so did I, but she was right to have been worried about that. Just turning it off is not a solution for most people. Not in this ever-connected world. But we can't individually just not have a phone or not be connected. This is how we live now. If you want to be part of a community of humanity, this is how we're doing it. I'm grateful for a lot of the benefits of this new world. I'm able to maintain relationships with people around the globe. I can share my work widely and without gatekeepers. I have developed all sorts of technical skills I never imagined possible. And all this has probably made important progressive social change possible. I wouldn't want to give that up. But... If someone came to me with a time machine and said, I can take you back to the previous century and you can just live there if you want, I might do it. I mean, I would like to see a lot of other times too. Can we go traveling first? Also, I'd probably really miss my loved ones, so can I bring them? And this fictional time machine fantasy may be getting out of hand at this point. It would take me a long time to readjust to going to the library and writing letters and meeting people in person, but I think I was happier then. It might be worth the loss. Our internet was out for about a week last year, and it was a nightmare. Of course. So much of our lives depend on it. 
When you're not on it, you feel like you disappear. But that's because everyone else is on it, and you're left out. Back when there was no internet, or really when the internet was only for the privileged few, it was, it was just quieter. Everything was just quieter. You weren't missing anything. You just did what was in front of you. The world was more local. So yes, I do miss it. But I know we can't go back. We can only go forward. So I suppose I'm looking forward to the next development in technology, the one that will feel romantic and exciting before it becomes compulsive and oppressive. And then maybe, maybe we'll get past this sort of adolescent stage with our devices and find a way to really be present with each other again. I hope we can figure out how to be quieter, even with the whole world in our pockets. I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist in the 20th century. I didn't have any of these skills in the 20th century. I mean, edit a podcast? Record a podcast? There, was no, there wasn't even a podcast. But I guess I, I did record, like, when I was a kid, we used to pretend to have radio shows. And, like, we'd record them on a tape player, a little cassette. I, I, I hope somewhere those cassettes still exist. Like, middle school Emily and her friend just, like, recording... DJs of the hour, whatever. I don't remember what we would say, but we would like introduce songs and I don't know. Anyway, yes, that was as close to a podcast as we got back then. And they were not nearly as sophisticated as a podcast. Not that this particular podcast has any great technical feat, but you know, I just was like setting the levels and I record all my own music all the time. Like, I, I did not have, you know, again, with a tape player, I could do it. But that's, this is, this is m- much, much different than that. So, you know, I am grateful for the advances in, in areas such as this. But, but, uh, yeah, there, there are times where I definitely would get in that time machine. For sure. For sure. So... What song is here? I love this song, and I'm so, like, I was so delighted to get to learn it, and that I could do it, and, uh, and that I get to share it with you. This song is a song that I discovered at the library. Yes, the actual library. Here's what happened. I checked out a record from the library. I checked, I just checked things out then. And uh, this record was uh, a Noel Coward record of, it was like the, you know, original cast recording of a Noel Coward musical from the 70s called Cavalcade. And uh, I believe I recorded it on cassette. So I, I you know, I what did we call that then? It's not ripping. That 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 came with CDs. Anyway, I I recorded it from the uh, from the vinyl. So I had a copy. 
and uh, became obsessed with this one song. And uh, that song is called 20th Century Blues. And I have learned it now. Um, but I, I just am struck now with like how, like that's how I would discover not only, you know, a lot of stuff I would discover like from the radio, but like this other sort of side of things that you wouldn't expect I would get at the library. Um, and, you know, I was a mu musical theater nerd, so I that's kind of this stuff that I would grab. <laughs> um, yeah, so I remembered this song, but I couldn't remember what it was from for a really long time. So at least the Internet had that information, uh, although this song was tricky to find. But it came through. Good job, Internet. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so this is from a random show in London in the seventies, uh, that, which was like a collection of Noel Coward songs. Um, so it's run through a couple layers of, of change. Um, I did listen to a recording of Noel Coward himself singing it. And that is not the version that I'm doing here. This is definitely like the version from the show from the seventies. Um, sung by a woman called Elaine Delmar, and she is fantastic. So if you're looking for it, the original, I recommend it highly. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, so in just a moment, I will play that for you. Also, I considered, only momentarily, because the song I, I love too much, um, but I found a, a Steve Earle song called 21st Century Blues, which might have been slightly more appropriate uh, in terms of, you know, meaning. But, uh, but I, I actually sort of enjoy the, like, 20th Century Blues was written in the early part of the 20th century, right? Where, like, the 19th century was probably still within living memory for a fair number of people. And so it, it was written in a moment that I, I just sort of imagine them kind of having a similar experience as we're having now, like looking at like the crazy world that they were living in and like romanticizing the past when it was a little bit more peaceful. And I don't know, there's just something, there's something quite beautiful actually about that circularity for me that like, we're, we, we just do this, we human beings repeat the same kinds of patterns over and over again and that this song you know came back around uh, multiple times actually there's quite a few covers of it as well I think there I found a video of Elton John singing it at one point so it uh yeah <laughs> it's just a funny world anyway uh I'll play that for you in just a moment meanwhile thank you so much for listening if you'd like to support the podcast please tell someone about it like it subscribe follow write a review all of those things are very helpful in terms of helping other people find the podcast um if you'd like to support it with your dollars always amazing patreon.com slash emily r davis is the like you know heavy heft, heavy duty support thank you patrons um and then there's also ko-fi and paypal all those links are in the show notes thank you as ever for listening and uh without further ado oh Here's some further ado, actually. Um, I did make a couple of lyric changes 
One, I just changed for myself um, because there was a reference to uh, God, and I, and I made God a she because, you know, why not? And the other changes are uh, the changes that were in the, this 70s recording. So I went with Elaine Delmar's version rather than the version, other versions that I saw. Anyway, some minutia, some marginalia for this tune. <laughs> Um, yeah, so here it is, 20th Century Blues. Why is it that civilized humanity can make the world so wrong in this hurly-burly of insanity? Our dreams cannot last long. We've reached a deadline. The press headline, every sorrow, blues value is news value to Sure. 